Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. So, Rebecca, today I'm going to tell you a piece of Memphis radio history. Mm. I'm going to tell you about WHERAM 1430, the first all-girls radio in America. I've heard about this. Actually, I've seen it. Have you heard a lot about it? Well, you've seen it. (laughs) I didn't live back in that day. But (laughs) how do you see the radio? I saw it in the Rock and Roll Museum downtown, but I don't remember much. You don't know a lot about it. No. You just know you just know it existed. Yes, and Becky Phillips had a part in that. Yes. Yes. Your namesake. Yes, of course I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Some people are probably really going to believe you're named after her now. I'll take it. That, that's going to be fantastic. So, this radio station was started in 1955 by, guess who? Becky Phillips. Well, sort of. Sam Phillips. Yes. Woo! Who we all know from his fame of discovering Elvis, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and so on and so forth. Apparently, he'd always wanted a radio station, And as we know from researching the book, he loved to record stuff, but he always had kind of unique ideas around what he wanted to record. Um, So this radio station, of course, had a unique twist. It was all women, which was completely unheard of at that time. Uh, You know, it was 55, so the 50s. (laughs) So he always wanted to do something different, and there were a lot of radio stations at that time, so he thought, hey, I'm going to you know, make this all-girls station, and that'll be a unique twist. And I think he was a bit inspired by his wife, Becky Phillips, who had a fantastic radio voice. Um, And I found a quote of what he said about the station, and he said, I'm like a little mouse who sees a hole and jumps in there. Can you say that in Becky Phillips's voice? I cannot, because her voice is lovely. Oh, you got a lovely voice. I'm listening to it right now. (laughs) Hers is really great. And I'm going to tell you a place you can actually go hear it a little bit later in the story. You can actually hear some clips and stuff of her. Okay. So this station, he started with uh, what seems like a little bit of money now, but I think it was probably a lot of money then. He put in uh, $35,000 from selling Elvis's some studio contract to RCA. So he took all that money and put it into this all-girls radio station. And then another famous businessman helped him. Do you want to take a guess? Yes. Who put in $25,000? Oh, the names are blanking on me. Can you tell me what it starts with? Starts with a K. K. K, The initials are KW. I'm blanking. It has to do the hotel. The Shiska Hotel? Kimmins Wilson. Kimmins Wilson. Of Holiday Inn fame. Yes. It's okay. It's late night for you. (laughs) It's all right. You get a pass. So he put in $25,000, and he also gave the radio station a home in some of the spare rooms inside the third-ever first Holiday Inn. Sorry, not third-ever first, the third-ever Holiday Inn. (laughs) (laughs) So here we get Becky Phillips. She kind of co-started it with him, and she managed the station with another lady named Dottie Abbott. So I'm going to tell you some more about Dottie in a minute, but first I'm going to tell you about Becky Phillips, because I think you probably want to know these things since... She is your namesake. Yes, thank you. And Dottie, I like that name. Yeah, and she has another name too, which you're going to love even more. No. I'm not going to make you guess it either. I can't love it more than Dottie. <laughs> no, you will. I okay. promise you're going to love it more. <laughs> okay. All right. So 
Becky Phillips was a veteran of radio. She started working at WLAY Radio in Sheffield, Alabama, which is the city she was born in. So she started working there when she was 17. And it's actually where she met Sam Phillips. So radio was like their love story, I guess. Look at that. Um, Yeah. And he once said she was the best announcer I've ever heard. That's how he won her over. Yeah, by telling her she had a wonderful disc jockey voice. <laughs> I mean, it would win me over. Mm-hmm. You could be you could be a lady disc jockey. Those are the people that ride on the horse, right? No, those are just those are jockeys. Oh, okay. So what? A disc jockey's a DJ. Yes, that would explain the DJ <laughs> initials. <laughs> yes. Or did they really say? Hold on, li- no. Did they really say disc jockey back then and not DJ? I don't know. I know that these um, lady disc jockeys were called jockettes. So did he say you would make a fine disc jockette? No, I'm saying that would be a pickup line some for me. Like, I don't know if he told oh, her that, maybe, yeah. but I'm okay, saying. Okay, I could see you know, it happening, though. I could meet you and you could be like, yeah, could be like, wow, you have a voice for radio <laughs> as opposed to a, a face for radio. Yes. Which is. Not a pickup line. I'm just kidding. I can't be picked up. I'm married. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so she was kind of co-started with them. She was the program director. She trained new announcers, and she worked to inspire the other jockets. And she just kind of made sure that the station met its goal of having a good feminine vibe because that's what they were going for. Hmm. A tidbit, I thought, was a good tip for us, is that she always signed off saying, a smile on your face puts a smile in your voice. Hey, I remember that quote. Keep a smile on your face. Well, I'm putting a smile on this face right now. <laughs> All right. So I read a rumor. I guess it's really not a rumor because he said it too, so I suppose it's true. Uh, that Sam Phillips didn't tell any of the women he interviewed that it was going to be an all-lady station. Each of them thought they were going to be the only woman like announcer or whatever Hmm. Uh, because if they knew it was going to be all women no one would do it because it was a super crazy idea right then they all found out but it's kind of a done deal and so women ran the whole thing they read the news interviewed local celebrities played music and did the ad sales the production the directing of the programs, the sound engineering, and they worked the control booths. Wow. Uh, There were some men around to fix stuff that broke, but that was pretty much it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. If you tuned in, you would hear some pretty feminine programming. It was, I guess, really geared towards women for most of the station's life. Kind of like the river. Oh, is it? The river. No, I'm just asking, is it like the river? The, the river is easy listening, right? Yeah. So this was e- 50s easy listening. So maybe it was the first river. <laughs> so they didn't play any rock and roll, mostly because Sam Phillips didn't want it to seem like he was just trying to create a radio station to play Sun Studios music. Uh, but also, I think, you know, for demographic reasons. And so they played jazz, mm-hmm. easy listening, and some kind of music called country swing. I don't really know what country swing is or what it sounds like. Maybe in the show, maybe in the show notes, I might put a country swing track. Yeah. Just go ch- go check and see. Um, this one would be at memphistypehistory.com slash radio show notes. Okay. The station's motto was a thousand beautiful watts. 
and it seemed like it looked and sounded just as bright. Uh, couldn't find any pictures, but here are some descriptions of the interior. Uh, it looked like a beauty parlor. The women seemed to really play up the whole, like, girls' radio thing by hanging up nylon stockings, bras, and undies in the equipment room. The carpets were pastel, and the walls were pink and aqua. Lipstick and mirrors were all over the walls. And my favorite part, this isn't really about decor, but they would announce the news reports as the news from abroad. (laughs) Those clever dames. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's a quote uh, from a press release about, I don't, and I actually, I think it's W-H-E-R, but it looks like, like W-H-E-R, so W-H-E-R, yeah. and it spells out her. Um, okay. The studio and offices have been feminized from front door to rear exit. The disc jockeys are called jockettes. The studio is known as the doll's den. The control rooms are called playrooms. The hallway is mirrored. The equipment room has been decorated with murals depicting the evolution of feminine clothing. The stationery is perfumed. The advertisers are listed in a date book. And the exit to the parking lot is labeled, bye-bye till next time. (laughs) That's my 50s press release voice. Sounds perfect. And my best impression of a jacket that I can bust her. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So the women of WHUR were paid between $55 and $100 a week. Plus, they had perks like being able to go to the high-end beauty shops for free and generally being treated like minor celebrities. Um, they judged beauty contests. They got invited to really nice parties. And I think they even had like a horse race named after them so they could go bet on the horses in their own race. Did, was Jockey in the name of that? I don't know the name of that, but uh, I can try to find it for the show notes or something. I heard it in a podcast. Otherwise, I'd just look it up. But I remember hearing about this uh, dog racing race. Oh, dog racing. Yeah, what'd I say? I was, thought you said horse racing, hence the oh. comment if it had Jockey in the name. Do you want to hear some little tidbits of history about some of the pers- women personalities on the radio? Yes. Okay, good. I was hoping that was your answer. (laughs) Did I keep you in suspense there for a little while? Well, I thought I might have to tell you to say yes. Uh, (laughs) Janie Joplin was a jockey and copywriter in the 50s who is actually named Vida Jane Butler. Vida? Yeah, Vida Jane. Double name. Okay. Yeah. That's a strong name. It is a strong name, and it was also considered too old-fashioned and too Southern for the radio. Oh, so she became Janie Joplin. Which is pre-Janis Joplin, right? Yes, I believe so, because this was the 50s. That was 70s? I think so. I mean, yeah. yeah. Or 60s. Something, something like that. Okay. All right. Uh, she was nominated for a Clio Award, and her signature sign-off was, Be good, and you'll be happy. It's not as cool as that broad comment that they came up with. <laughs> the news from abroad. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, She kept working in radio until she retired. She said of the station, it gave me confidence at a time when I had none. Aww. I like her again now. Uh, Now you can meet Betty Berger. Okay. She started working at WHER in 1955. She went on a few dates with Elvis (gasps) because what woman in Memphis didn't? Oh, ouch. 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, how many times, how many times have we come across someone for... He didn't date that many. How, I ask you, how, he many, didn't. how many times have we come across some story unrelated to Elvis and yet he appears because he took someone out he, on a date? Well, but that's not dating. That's just encounters. Those are encounters. I don't know. There, there's a lot of I think dating. He dated two people seriously in Memphis. Okay, well, I'm about to tell you about another jacket that went on a date with Elvis. So, <laughs> <laughs> you mean an outing? <laughs> That's okay. I understand. If if Elvis just like took my hand to get out of a car, I would call that a date. <laughs> I would say I had a date with Elvis. Yeah, he he t- he, he we rode in a car together, and he hand fed me. That night. (laughs) This date got long. (laughs) Or this encounter just got long. (laughs) I'm just trying to defend the guy somehow. (laughs) Even though he's not being attacked. Anyway, go ahead. All right. So Donna Bartlett also went on a date with Elvis. And he went on an encounter with Elvis, if you must. (laughs) He came to the studio to pick her up at 1130 at night to go to his house. Oh. Date or encounter, Rebecca? Okay, I'll call that one a date. All right. Well, she was already asleep on the couch. Mm. So her quote is pretty great about this date. (laughs) Every woman in the world would like a date with Elvis, and this bird brain is asleep. But we did go to his house. He was completely charming and introduced me to his mother. Oh, that that means he liked her. It was a successful encounter, I guess. She (laughs) seems positive about it. Yeah. Back to Betty. So apparently she wrote a song once that Elvis wanted to record with a faster rock and roll sound, but she said no. Hmm. She did go on to write other songs that made it onto other singers' records, though. And at 35, she started working as the only woman ever hired as a booking agent for musical talent. One time, a man wouldn't pay her fee because she was a woman, and he apparently didn't think she needed that $1,800. So she quit and started her own agency. And she was, wow. re- yeah, she was really successful. And at one point she surpassed the national agency she worked for previously. Look at her. Yeah. Betty was a bowler. All right. Now we're going to talk about Marge Thrasher. I like that one. Yeah. She started the first listener call in talk show in Memphis radio called Open Mike. Interestingly enough, though, it is spelled M-I-K-E instead of M-I-C. Oh, was there a guy involved? No, I kind of. this name to Mike? No, there wasn't. I kind of wonder if maybe that's how they abbreviated microphone back then, perhaps. I don't know. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. It was just interesting to me that we ha- we would have changed the spelling by now, I think. They didn't spell microphone differently back then, did they? I don't know. Maybe, maybe hey, if you're a linguist listening to this and you know about <laughs> about the history of words, shoot us an email at memphistypehistory at gmail.com and explain to us Mike versus Mike. All right. <laughs> So, for your reference, Open Mic started in 1967. So, this was a little bit later in the station. Its success led her to Channel 13 for a morning talk show called Straight Talk. In her career, she interviewed celebrities like, wait for it. Can I guess? Who do you think it is? He's everywhere. Is it Elvis? (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So, she had an encounter with him, too. She did. Perhaps an on-air date. We don't know. (laughs) I don't know how she would describe it. Uh, also, she interviewed Julia Child, Dolly Parton, Nancy Reagan, and Billy Graham, to name a few. Those are some good ones. Yeah. 
Uh, I think interviewing Dolly Parton would be really fun because she is crazy. Yes. Did you know that Dolly Parton in the music of 9 to 5, did you ever watch that movie? Uh, Shamefully, I have not watched the movie, but I enjoy that song a lot. Working 9 to 5. Yes. Well, she's so she's so cute. I was watching her on a, on a documentary or interview or something, and she said, you know, as I was just singing that song, I just started tapping my nails like this. Uh, well, I can't do it because I don't have the nail talent. But that's part of the background music no is way. her um, hitting her nails together. That- yes. That's it. It's like playing spoons, but she used her she's- nails. Anyway, so like- it's just funny to me. I really feel like Dolly Parton has, like, one of the quickest, like, wittiest senses of humor. And sometimes I wonder, like, before she goes on a talk show, like, does she practice answering certain questions in, like, a funny way? Or does it really just come to her? I bet she's just quirky and it just comes to her. That's what I hope. She's she's crazy. I like her. Yeah. So open mic was also where the WHER ladies had to figure out how to deal with Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. So Marge was actually on the air with Open Mic, which, remember, is a call-in show. So listeners call in, and they don't people don't really know what they're going to say, right? Um, and Donna Bartlett came in after seeing the news that uh, Martin Luther King had been shot. So she had to take the news to Marge, who then had to announce it on air. Because it was an open mic, they wanted to let the audience call in and pay respects. So she read a statement, and then they opened it up. But um, she ended up actually walking out because there was a call that came in that was just really disrespectful and kind of surprising to her and the station manager at that time. And so they just, like, had dead silence on the air, and she got up and walked out. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. Um, A lot of this... That story and then the story of how the station manager sent out... At this time, it wasn't Dottie. It was a man named Charlie Sullivan. I'll kind of explain that in a minute. But um, he sent him out with tape recorders to make reports on the marches after King's assassination and kind of like all around that time. Mm -hmm. And so all of this was really like the first time they started doing political stuff in real-time reporting. And there's a really great podcast by the Kitchen Sisters, and I'm going to put the link in the in the show notes. And they they talk about this time uh, during the radio station, and uh, it's really interesting. They have a lot of good sound bites and clips and stuff, and it's a, just a gorgeous podcast. Two episodes on WHER, but it was really interesting, and, and they kind of dive in better into like the changing how the radio station kind of changed and stuff. But that seemed like it was kind of the first time they really had to like deal with things that were a little bit more intense. Yeah. Like they did, they would like announce news and things like that, stuff going on in the world, but they weren't really doing like real-time reporting and, and they weren't out on the street. That's pretty heavy for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, of that kind of reporting. Yeah, and they kind of, I think they kind of had to in a way because like they were getting call, listeners calling in from even different countries like because they were WHR listeners and so they were calling in like asking for reports and updates and stuff. So they rose to the occasion, I guess. Wow. And then there's another one last lady to talk about named Dean Duval. And I just wanted to mention her because her nickname was The Hat. Why? Because she had hat game. She wore the hat. Oh, she. Oh, because she physically wore some amazing hats? Yeah. <laughs> or she was like, she wore the hats around here. Uh, you know, like instead of pants. 
could have been could have been both, but I think it was because she had amazing hats. Okay. Uh, they're like I love some amazing hats. Yeah, I found a picture of her, and I'll put it in the show notes. And it's like this huge amazing hat <laughs> at the reunion where Phillips and some and about a dozen of the WHER women got together to do a PBS documentary. She can be seen sitting in Phillips's lap with a leg over his knee, which he complimented. Okay. So she was a little bit. Oh, she had a big personality, I think. Sounds like they all may have. Yeah, I think, well, I guess if you're going to be on the radio, you kind of will to some degree. But that little tidbit kind of brings me into the other side of things with the station uh, that kind of had me thinking. Like, even though it was really groundbreaking, it was still really, like, tinged with this whole, like, feminine ideal. Yeah. So to speak. So, like... Um, Betty, who I mentioned earlier, she has a quote saying, Sam didn't treat us like women. He treated us like professionals, but like all the jockettes had to take glamour shots and the promotional material showed them doing their makeup at the station. And like, everything was like really girly like that. Mm -hmm. And some of, some of the ad reps went to appointments in convertibles, like beauty queen style. So they would like even wave to people on the street. Yeah. And then you have, like, the -the over-the-top decor, like, the underclothes and all that that was kind of put up to, like, scandalize visitors. And so I kind of feel like some of that, like, I was just thinking about, I saw this quote from a Washington Post article about the station, and it said, Phillips effectively manipulated the Southern male psychology. He knew that men might not take professional women seriously, but that they were too schooled in chivalry to toss them out of their offices. So it's almost like they were pioneers doing something, but it's almost like they had to like still manipulate men in some way to do it. Or like they still had to like somehow create everything like in relation to men in order for it to work. Yeah. Well, they would have been completely rejected if they didn't have the appearance of how and what women look like back then, uh, which is kind of the unfortunate role of women in that time. Like you couldn't get away with not wearing lipstick and being girly and having heels and wearing dresses back then. It's great. It's a great story and empowering feeling like that these women were brought together to do something great. And, and thanks to Sam Phillips for seeing the talent in them and professionalism in them. Uh, But at the same time, just like with so many women organizations, they still had to perform the role of women and the stereotype of women. So yeah, it's an interesting time. Yeah. I was thinking a, a lot about that kind of after putting this story together, like, and listening to the, to the women in their interviews, like none of them really have anything negative to say about that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, I guess like me looking back on it, I kind of wonder a little bit like how much of it, did they fill the role because that's what they knew? Like, if they uh-huh. didn't have to, like, would they have? I don't know. It's just... Yeah, it was like they also had to be performers on top of uh, disc jockeys. Yeah. Yeah, they were like little, you know. ce- like, yeah, celebrities in town, sort of. Mm-hmm. So... Like, nobody probably really knew what Sam Phillips... I mean, people knew Sam, what Sam Phillips looked like, but he didn't have to be somebody else outside of that where women had to put kind of put on a show like they had to, like you showed me they had to wave this kind of way and mm-hmm. um, make appearances at beauty shops or something like that maybe Sam Phillips went to uh, car shows or something I don't know <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe all right well so I'm going to tell you about the end now the end of it all okay oh it went it ended 
Did it, it did. end? It didn't well, turn into the river? I don't think it, I, I think, uh, there's not a direct line from WHER to the river, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? We can dream. Okay. All right. So from 1955 to 1966, the all-lady management was maintained. There were about 40 women who worked there, and Dottie Abbott, as I've discussed, was the co-manager. And she said, we are not trying to prove that we can get along in a world without men. We are simply trying to prove that when a group of women make up their collective minds that they're going to do something successfully, no force on earth can keep them from it. Do you want to know another interesting fact now about Dottie? Yes. She was also known as Dolly Holiday. Dolly Holiday because of Doc. Her radio persona named after Holiday Inn. Oh, Holiday Inn. Yes. I don't know who Doc is. <laughs> Doc Holiday. Oh, Doc Holiday. <laughs> or Doc Holiday, Doc- I mean. <laughs> I just like skipped over that in my brain. I was like, I don't know who Doc is. I'm just gonna, just gonna move on. <laughs> I just randomly like to throw out names out there at you. <laughs> but now I know. No, I think he's from the Wild West, right? Yeah, but you know, pe- people know Doc Holiday. Everybody's had an encounter with him back in the day. <laughs> well, a lot of people had encounters with Dolly Holiday through oh. the through the airwaves. So she was also a singer. And WHUR would play her album, which was put out by Holiday Inn, in order to attract truckers to the hotels. Smart. So this is what a man on the Kitchen Sisters podcast said about Dolly Holiday, and I don't know who he was. Um, But he said, she'd make them think she was making love to them right there over the radio line. Wow, Dolly. Hold it. Keep it together. She would uh, do all of those magical things while informing them of where the 30-something Holiday Inns were located all around the country. Wow. So people needed to stop in that Holiday Inn, didn't they? I guess so. Yeah. (laughs) All part of the marketing plan. Genius. Uh, You can hear more about that in the podcast episode I'm going to link to in the show notes. The ending came because of the women's movement. So they say. So with its goal of inclusion, there was pressure to open the doors to men. So when Dottie moved on to new things, Charlie Sullivan, who I've mentioned before, a former wrestling announcer, is the guy who replaced her. So, yeah, speculation is that a woman of Dottie's caliber couldn't be found. So a man had to do. Huh. And he didn't have any problems stepping in, did he? No, but they kind of changed a lot of things. They started to bring um, men into the programs. So they actually changed the station name to WWEE or We Radio. Got it. And uh, like one of the women was paired with a man for a new program and her role in it was to play the fool. So like he would say something and she'd respond with some like dumb airheaded comment. Mm. So although that... It felt silly to to a lot of the women who had been running the thing for years. It's just kind of like the way it went, which I didn't think about this before, but like telling you now, I wonder if like part of that also had to do with the women's movement, because like, as it said in my research, like the idea of inclusion made them bring men into the station. I wonder Mm -hmm. if like they had to even maybe go more overboard with making men feel comfortable during the women's movement by having shows like that. Where, like, the women were dumb. Huh. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> um, all the feminine decor came down, and the station fell in popularity because it really wasn't novelty anymore, and the demographics had changed. People wanted y- younger music, um, not so much, like, the easy listening and all of that. So, that's W-H-E-R. Wow. 
That's pretty good. Yeah. I thought it was so interesting. I, I first heard about it when I first started listening to Kitchen Sisters podcast, which I know I've said them like a bajillion times, but I'm telling you like this, these two episodes are really some of the best podcast episodes I've ever listened to of any podcast. And um, I was just really fascinated by it after I listened to that episode and always wanted to do a blog post on it, but never did. So what was the name of that podcast? It is called The Kitchen Sisters. Okay. And there's a 1998 PBS documentary called WHER, A Thousand Beautiful Watts. Um, But if you're not into watching like a documentary or if you're Mm -hmm. not into watching things from the 90s, you can also (laughs) listen to this podcast instead. (laughs) Any further thoughts on uh, WHER before I sign off on this one? No, but I do want to go hear Becky Phillips's voice now. You can. So go to memphistypehistory.com slash radio. And that will get you show notes with all the links for where you can hear Becky Phillips' voice, um, where you can learn more about WHER, and we'll put some photos up for you if you want to see giant hats and great games. Sounds good. Can we have radio names now? Yeah. You be Dottie and I'll be Dolly. And no one will be able to tell (laughs) us apart. Let's sign off that way. Okay. Goodbye from Dottie. Goodbye from Dolly. We like your time. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind the scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at Memphis Type. 